Welcome to the Changemakers in CRE, a podcast by Realist. We're bringing you the stories and the people driving change and innovation in the commercial real estate industry. You're about to hear from a changemaker as they share what went right, what went wrong, what they've learned along the way, and what's next. So tune in and join us as we uncover what the future will look like for commercial real estate. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Changemakers in CRE. I'm your host, Tom Wallace, CEO and founder of Released Commercial Management Software. And today we're joined by Charlotte Brabant. Charlotte is the founder and director of Calibrate Property Consulting in Sydney, Australia. Welcome to the show, Charlotte. Thanks so much, Tom. Great to have you. I thought you could just kick us off by just telling us a little bit about what you do as a consultant, the clients you work with. Just a bit of background would be fantastic. Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, I'm the founder and director of Calibrate Property Consulting. My primary focus is to provide clients development management advice in the industrial sector predominantly. I guess this is a pretty broad focus, but generally it includes market insights, development strategies, both initiation and also the execution of. And this could be greenfield projects, which is obviously vacant land, which then develops into an existing facility, but also asset repositioning or repurposing of assets, development master planning, major lease negotiation, the list goes on. It's pretty broad. Um, but yes, I'm based in Sydney, but I have a national focus. I've been working with, prior to being a consultant, I worked with 151 Property as a mm-hmm. national development manager for industrial. And I continue to do that today for them, but I really do have a national remit, which means okay. that I work in all the major cities of Australia. Cool. So, and 151 Property, for those who aren't familiar with that company? 151 Property is a specialist manager of real estate in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, They create value for their customers and stakeholders through active management across a diversified portfolio, including office, retail, residential, and industrial. Great. Right. And owned by Blackstone. Yes, that's correct. Awesome. Okay, cool. Very hot area, obviously. Industrial properties had an absolute boom in recent times. It must be an incredibly dynamic and interesting place to play. Regenerating, like that's become a really big thing. Obviously, as the economics have changed, you want to run us through some of the the repurposing or the redevelopments you've done, and particularly interesting, I think you've done a few where you've converted them into office, so you completely change use of a of a property. Yeah, exactly. I think the repurposing and uh, repositioning of assets is becoming a growing trend uh, for, for two reasons. Firstly, just the growing demand for industrial that's been supercharged by COVID and the e-commerce boom, I guess, coupled with the lack of land supply, means that landowners have had to go back to their existing portfolios and identify assets which they could repurpose to meet their customers, but also they can continue to realise value from their portfolio. During my time at 151, we've worked on a number of repositioning um, projects and one that I remember quite well was for a an international uh, customer who wanted to grow and consolidate their current facilities. They wanted a new build uh, but unfortunately at the time we didn't have land to provide that and they wanted to stay in the specific area in which they currently were in. We did however have a uh, an estate down the road which had a number of assets or facilities within that estate one of which was an old data centre, and that was located next to a vacant warehouse. Um, Working closely with the asset management team and the national leasing manager, we came up with a scenario where we could relocate this tenant into this um, data centre, which we repurposed as their new head office for Sydney, and then created a weather protection to that new warehouse. That warehouse was then connected to the data centre, and therefore they were able to grow into this brand new facility, which really, I guess, set the benchmark for the growth and the strategy of their operations going forward. 
It's incredible. I've, I've seen I've seen photos and I've seen the outcomes of some of these repurposing projects. It's just incredible, changing the use, making them relevant for modern workplaces. In fact, our our office where our R&D is done um, for released is in, in Hawke's Bay. And our, it used to be a, a massive old wool shed. Built, and I think it was originally built about 80 years ago to store wools. Now it's called the Napier, the Hawke's Bay Tech Center. And there's all sorts of tech companies in there. It's fantastic. It's just really cool to see those buildings get turned around and, and, and be, become relevant again because it sat vacant for, for a long time with very, very low use. And that was exactly the same in this scenario where this asset was becoming more and more redundant to the existing customer and so less and less people were using it. But it was in a great location. It still had some really, the lifespan of the building was still there. And I think also one of the growing trends around repurposing is from an ESD point of view, an ESG point of view, where, as I said, like a lot of these buildings are built for a 40 to 50 uh, year lifespan. And anything less than that, they still have a lot of embodied energy that would be wasted if you were going to knock it down and, and redevelop it. And I think yeah. also now ESG is more front of mind, waste recycling, those sorts of aspects. They're definitely things that landlords and customers are thinking about when they go into some of these projects. That's incredibly interesting. And ESG is just a massive topic and particularly relevant. But for a landlord, taking on a project like this obviously some of the projects you've worked on are massive but you can there's all sorts of repurposing if we're speaking specifically about industrial what are some of the areas where there can be sort of low-hanging fruit easy wins we'll ask that first and then i'd be interested after that in looking at what's the uh, what are areas that can get caught out where costs or risk can spiral pretty quickly as well yeah i think when you're starting any sort of repurposing um project it's really important to do your due diligence and that's everything from understanding what the original planning approval was was it built to be a factory or a warehouse because some of these things then will i guess dictate your uh bca or your building code what you can do and what you can't do within the um, standards also what you can do in regards to fire fire engineering will the works trigger a bca upgrade Will you have to do environmental remediation to think about the capacity of the slabs within the industrial warehouse? Is the office too big? Is it too small? Is the building access still suitable for the size of trucks that people are now using? Are there enough roller shutter doors, loading docks, awnings, car parking? Does it need new technology? I think if you do an audit of the current condition of the building, that's a really good place to start because you can get really caught out. In my experience, I've been caught out with all of those things, <laughs> but definitely fire engineering is a key one. Obviously, now in this day and age, fire engineering and the safety of not only the fire brigades, but of the workers is paramount. And definitely the standards there have, uh, have increased. That's always, and that's an expensive and capital intensive aspect of the building to increase. Being really mindful of your fire engineering status quo when you start is, is super important. Was that, would that involve like things like changing cladding or, or insulation or like how, how deep? Yeah, it's a whole bunch of things, right? It's the size of the building, right? The volume of the building, how much yeah. you know smoke would be generated if there was a fire there. Exactly cladding, uh, the sprinkler system that's actually there, does it have a sprinkler system? And if it does, is it ordinary hazard? Is it high hazard? Is it suitable for, is it ESFR? All of that will dictate um, what goods can be stored in that facility and therefore which customers you can attract. And I think whenever you're doing a repositioning of a building speculatively without a tenant in mind, you really need to make sure that you are building it to the most flexible and, I guess, vanilla sort of spec um, specification so that you can, can attract as many customers as possible. Interesting. And uh, obviously, I, I like how you're saying customers, not tenants. It's obviously a, a subtle shift, but obviously it changes the mindset of how you're thinking about who's going to occupy the buildings. I guess while we're on tenants, what are tenants looking for now? Obviously, there's always a list of, of different things that different tenants will find important. But what are you seeing now that's coming through that's potentially more important or, is, or has become a real trend? I think certainly just 
I mean, network strategy of a customer has always been important, but I think now uh, with the last mile and the whole uh, cost of travel being a really big part of um, a tenant's or an occupier's or a customer's cost base, that location is paramount. Location and accessibility is paramount. While that's always been a fundamental of, in, of industrial, that's definitely one that you were seeing more and more. And tenants are paying a higher rent and are willing to accept lower incentives to be in the right location. And then in addition to that, it's also when you're looking at new builds, it's volume because obviously these days slabs are getting thicker, the fire systems are getting more sophisticated. It's really about how you can store higher rather than having it over a larger footprint. And again, that you know goes to your overall, I guess, occupancy cost. And then if you're looking at existing buildings, I think if you're going down the smaller end of the scale, a lot of, I guess, SMEs look for buildings which represent their, I guess, aesthetics or their corporate brand. For them, having a clean building, nice cosmetic upgrades, good entry, a nice landscaping. Again, I think down that smaller scale, that's super important. But I think above all in industrial, the site has to be functional. You need to have adequate hard stands. You need to have good road um, access. You need to have awnings, um, roller shutter doors. Those basics, I think, are paramount to any uh, successful industrial facility. That's really interesting because as much as Things have changed recently. A lot of that is you, the, the fundamentals stayed the same, right? It's quality and it's location. It's what I'm hearing. 100%. That's exactly it. And I think for industrial, that is very much, that's very essential because if the building doesn't suit the occupier's use or their operations, then it's inefficient and there's nothing you can do to fix that, right? It's really important about getting it right first up. What about technology? Any, any new technology that they're, they're looking to put into the buildings, sensors and those sorts of things that you're seeing? Or is that yeah. not demand from so, tenants? Definitely with more sophisticated tenants, there's a move towards radio frequency and Wi-Fi to help run some of the digitization that's going on within the warehousing. Digitization is becoming very much a growing trend. People are using machine learning, they're using AI, they're using virtual reality to really streamline their supply chain. There's a number of different work fronts in that regard, but that is definitely where you are seeing the industrial sector move towards. Now, it really depends, as I said before, on the sophistication of the tenant and also what sort of data they have because without good data, you can't then map out your network strategy and use the digitization. But it's definitely something that I think is an emerging trend that we'll see more and more of. Yeah, and I imagine there's a very broad range of sophistications and industrial still. So I imagine that will stay that way for a while, even though the trends will accelerate. If we circle back onto ESG, um, yeah. obviously hot topic, what and, and quite broad as well, are there certain areas that you're seeing, whether it's whether it's tenants, whether it's landlords, they're saying, I just want to focus on this area, whether it's the climate impact or are there, are there certain parts of it that are, that are really getting attention more than others? I think it's twofold. It's a climate, the climate impact, mm. but also the mental health impact and the social impact of workers. Back in the day when I joined the industrial sector from the retail sector, Retail was always was already like on the front foot with ESG or ESD. Mm. And then when I moved into industrial, it was a nice to have. Some tenants requested it. They requested it because they were a global company and it was coming from, you know, overseas. But then when you would tell them what it was going to cost, you know, put solar panels up or upgrade the structure, they would then be like, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. Right, yeah, yeah. But now these days, any new building, I yeah, I would say any new building that's been built will have some basic ESD initiatives, such as uh, solar panels on roofs, translucent sheeting in the roof to improve the light quality, LED lights in the warehouses, rainwater harvesting for irrigation, 
flushing loos, those sorts of things. They're sort of like your stock standard things. But I think more and more now customers are requiring certification as well of the buildings, whether that be a Green Star certification or a LEED certification. That has certainly been driven by the customers. But I think also from a landlord point of view, they're also being tasked by their investors to make yeah. sure that the buildings that they're building definitely hitting um, all the high notes when it comes to ESD initiatives. And But then also with the work environment aspect, I think that's been driven um, both by both the landlords and the customers. I think people recognise now that you spend so much time at work and it should be a positive environment for everybody. Definitely, when we look to specify a new building, we make sure that the bathrooms and the kitchens and the offices, lots of good natural light, lots of quality finishes. We make sure that there's an outdoor space or breakout space for everybody to go and enjoy their lunch and get the solar. Access is really important. Accessibility to car parking. And I think also um, having amenity close by to uh, the buildings that you build as well is also super important, whether that's through shopping centres or public transport, childcare centres, gyms, whatever. It's all about building that, that I guess, an ecosystem that make, makes people thrive. Okay. And then um, if we want to look forward to make some predictions, obviously it's been a pretty... Uh pretty insane last few years where things have probably changed a lot more than they than they would have in the few decades before that with COVID and the impact of that and the rise of the internet. Any what sort of major challenges do you if do you want to do you want to predict and look into a crystal ball for industrial specifically, what do you think some major challenges are that it'll face? Well, I, th- I think just fundamentally in the very short term is just the huge demand that there is for industrial buildings and the pressure that's putting on the construction industry and the supply chain industry and what that's doing for resourcing as well. Obviously, with the borders being closed, uh, a lot of people going back home, uh, a lot of people leaving the industry just generally, there's a real resource shortage, resourcing shortage and that is definitely making it difficult to... Yeah, to, to get these projects um, underway, whether that's from a planning point of view or even from the construction and design point of view. That's a very immediate challenge that I think the industrial sector around Australia and probably, and also in New Zealand is definitely um, experiencing. For every sector is every short sector. on labour at the moment. It's crazy. <laughs> it's very true. Specifically in Australia, land supply. That's a big issue for industrial as well. Yeah. Zoning of appropriate land for industrial development and then having the infrastructure to feed and to, I guess, serve those industrial um, sectors. And then another challenge... That might sound strange really- to someone living in the in the UK who looks at the size of Australia and think, <laughs> wonder, wonder how on earth it is that land supply is an issue for Australia, which is like nothing but land. But obviously, it's about where it's located and its proximity to the cities and the ports. And that's exactly it, right? Like you look at Brisbane now and people are moving out to markets up north to obtain a facility at a rent that's more, I guess appropriate. It's almost 90 kilometers north of Brisbane. I mean, um, that's a long way to go for a facility if your customer is in CBD. And that's happening in Sydney and Melbourne as well. Yes, while you think we have huge tracts of land, we also have, we don't have the density that obviously Mm. some of the major um, European cities do. That is a challenge. And I think count local government and Mm. transport, I guess, changing their view towards multi-level warehousing what we like to call like transport depots in, I guess, inner urban areas. We need to really think uh, more broadly. If we're going to have high-density residential or these town centres, how do we service these town centres when you have people doing so much more um, online shopping, grocery shopping, click and collect? There really needs to be, I think, uh, bigger people need to, like all of those authorities need to come together and really think about how we can make those sort of inner city suburbs work more efficiently. And not just look at technology today, 
But look at technology in the future. Like there's a lot of restrictions on loading hours in inner city areas because they're worried about trucks making noise. But in the future, those trucks will be EV and they won't be noisy. Let's not plan for today. Let's try and plan for the next 10 years. And I really think that's something that the authorities need to think about because that that's where we're headed into the future. And I yeah. don't think they've quite got their head around that. No, I don't think a lot of local authorities are known for their innovation or forward thinking. Could be obviously an ongoing challenge. Can I take that by what you said that as a default, they're against sort of multi-level industrial? I don't think they're against it. I just think it is something that is new to them mm. and therefore it's uncharted territory. Yep. And it's, we all know in, this, in our environment, there's very much a not in my backyard attitude. Yep. I think it's any sort of new building structure or structural change in that sense is always going to be come up against adversity and it's just going to take longer to get the heads around it. And I think mm-hmm. also something interesting that one of my colleagues uh, told me recently is that actually the uh, Building Code of Australia doesn't really meet the requirements for a multi-level building or a multi-level, a multi-level warehouse. Uh-huh. Um, which is throwing up a lot of challenges for developers that are trying to uh, build multi-level warehousing. The BCA just hasn't caught up with it yet uh, uh-huh. in terms of fire engineering, engineering, fire stairs, those sorts of things. It is quite surprising that Australia, which is obviously such a, a big development, it's got a huge construction industry, they're quite behind in some of these things. I think that'll yeah. be challenge. That's been incredibly frustrating for those developers who are being held back by the legislation that's just not keeping up. It's yeah, yeah. like imagine incredibly frustrating periods there. And then I guess to finish off, it's been super fascinating, but what are you most excited about? What trends coming through do you, are you excited about in the future that um, you think will have a big impact? Personally, for me, and this is something that I champion, is the uh, participation of females in the industrial sector. When I started 10 years ago, I was probably one of the few women in development. But now, whether it's in development or project management or design or construction or leasing, you're definitely seeing a greater female participation. I'm really excited to see that. And I'm really excited to see leaders in the industry really champion that as well. That's something I'm super excited about. I'm also excited about the sophistication of the industrial sector as well, not just from a work environment point of view, but also from even the ESG, the new technologies we're seeing in building, the new technologies we're seeing in the the customers, what they want in terms of automation and digitization. And if I think about 10 years ago, as I said, when I started the sector, it's come a really long way. And I'm excited to uh, witness that growth, but also to know that there's got a long way to go. And I think there's a lot of now that it is the investment, now it is the investment asset class of choice, I think it'll get a lot more attention and that that will force that ongoing growth and sophistication of the sector. And I think that can only bring good things. Yeah, well, you're not just witnessing it. You're playing a a real part in growing it and shaping it, both obviously with leading women in in the sector and also the positive changes happening in in industrial. It's really exciting to see. It's a sector that was not long ago very proud of just being uh, dirty old sheds and, and not liking technology. Don't need it. We'll save that for for retail or office or somewhere else like that. It's great to see this change coming through. Hey, Charlotte, thank you so much. This has been incredibly fascinating, really interesting, and really appreciate your time. Thanks for no speaking problem, with us. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Changemakers in CRE, a podcast by Released. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show and sharing the episodes you love. That helps us continue bringing you the best stories about what's next for commercial real estate. Thanks for listening.